we have talked a little bit about how we Protestants sometimes are not as familiar with the rhythms and the church calendar, the seasons of the church calendar. And we don't always have the same understanding of a lot of things like the Lenten season that some other wings or branches of Christianity do. Uh, but even despite that, you can ask almost anyone, whether they are super religious, kind of religious or not religious at all, what is something that is typically associated with Lent? And you'll probably get one answer over and over and over again, and it is fasting, right? Everybody knows that Lent, even if you don't know why Lent is or what we're celebrating or when it is, you know that typically Lent is a time where people or some people do a fast. Uh, and uh, fasting is something that I feel like maybe we don't talk about and do enough, not just during the Lenten season, but throughout the year. Uh, I heard a story recently of a father who was going to enter into a time of prayer and fasting. And his little boy, he, I think he was kindergarten age, he asked him, what is fasting? What, what are you talking about? And the dad explained it meant that he was not going to eat. And the little boy panicked and he said, you have to eat. If you don't eat, you will die. And the dad tries to reassure him. He says, listen, this is not a permanent thing. It's a way to kind of remove distractions, to ease away from worldly dependence so that you can focus on God. And he even took his Bible and he said, you know, in this book, there are characters who fasted, people like Moses and David and Elijah. And without missing a beat, his son said, yeah, and they all died. <laughs> so we don't always talk about fasting maybe as much as we should. And when a pastor says we don't talk about something, what he's really said is I haven't talked about something as much as I should. Obviously, it's important that we as Christians understand a few things about fasting because whether or not you think it's an indispensable part of Lent, it is unquestionably a biblical practice and a valuable spiritual discipline. At its most basic level, a fast or fasting is when you deny yourself something that is typically an everyday part of your life. Most commonly, it's a certain meal or a certain type of food, but a changing world has allowed people to extend fasting to non-food things as well. Uh, even just this year for Lent, I've read about such alternate fasts like social media and phones, or people are fasting from television or video games. Some people are fasting from going out socially. Uh, some people are fasting from secular music. Uh, others are fasting from shopping. Uh, and so the question I have is, why do Christians fast at all? What's the point of all of this? Like I said, it's a very biblical concept. And I have a ton of scriptures today uh, because sometimes I just have something that I just want to prove a point. I'm going to say several scriptures that illustrate that point. Uh, but this is a biblical concept. Uh, my first scripture I want to point to is Joel chapter 2, verse 12. And I should have these on the screen behind me. Casey's in charge. There we go. Uh, Joel 2, 12 says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting with weeping and with mourning. Jesus talks about fasting a lot. If we fast forward to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, this is what Jesus says. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others 
but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus seems to be implying there is a right way to fast, that we should fast. But we also have biblical examples of people who fast, and the Lord honors their particular fasts. One of the first ones we see is in Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. This is Moses. It says, So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant and the Ten Commandments. A lot of people don't realize that fasting was a part of the Ten Commandments story, that this is something that Moses did and experienced the presence of God. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. One other example is Ezra chapter 8, verse 23. It says, So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaties. So we have examples of fasting being something that God honors from people in Scripture. But the most important reason why we fast is because as Christians, Christ is our example. And Jesus thought it was important for himself to fast and pray. And so if Jesus thought that it was important for Jesus to fast and pray, how much more should we think that it's necessary for us to fast and pray? This is Luke chapter 4, 1 through 4, when Jesus himself fasts. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. That scripture actually brings us back to fasting as it relates to the Lenten season. Because during Lent, it's supposed to be a time where we are in solidarity with Christ as he was in the desert for those 40 days. That's why the length of Lent is 40 days. Because we're one with Christ in the desert there. And so because Christ fasted in the desert, Christians historically have chosen to fast oftentimes during Lent. Fasting is meant to deny the flesh of its earthly desires so that it can instead earnestly and devotedly seek the Lord instead of the things the flesh wants. The desired outcome of fasting should be a stronger spirit and a deeper focus on God instead of on earthly matters. Fasting is our way of saying that we might be dependent on food for our physical survival, but that at the end of the day, that it is God and God alone who truly sustains us. We may think that it's bread that's keeping us alive and keeping our you know, gas in our tank, but the fact of the matter is it is God who sustains us. Fasting is a good spiritual practice because it frees us to focus on the spiritual in the midst of our physical bodies, constantly demanding our attention. And they do. Even if you're healthy, the constant attention that your body needs just for cleanliness and food and all this sort of stuff, like you have to keep paying attention to it. And if you're sick, your body requires even more attention, even if it's medicine or procedures or just aches and pains, whatever it is. And so fasting is our way of saying, my body does not get all my attention. I am choosing to focus on God 
I am choosing to focus on Christ. For either, even if it's something that my body needs or wants, I am choosing to focus on God instead. Now, fasting has a bit of a bad reputation because we all like food, right? We are Americans. Furthermore, we are now Midwesterners. And so we like food. And not having food sounds awful, to be frank. I can tell you that because I've withheld foods that I have wanted while Candace was in town. I told you already. I've explained that. Uh, but, uh, but it's not fun. And so fasting is often considered restricting. Like it's a way of handcuffing our lifestyle. Like it's, it's like prison for us. And I want to suggest to you that we should actually look at fasting as all about freedom instead. That it's actually the opposite of that. I want you to look at it this way. Fasting is all about exercising self-control, right? Fasting is about self-control. What is the opposite of self-control? You ever thought about that word, self-control? What would be the opposite of self-control is something else has control other than me, right? So the opposite of self-control is being controlled by something or someone else. It's something other than yourself having control over you. Whether it's another person, whether it's your emotions, whether it's your appetites, whether whatever it is, if that thing, if you don't have self-control over those things, then you are a slave to those things. You can be a slave to your emotions if you do not have self-control over your emotions. You can be a slave to food if food is what drives you and you can't think about anything else. See, what fasting and self-control means is that you're free now to make the decisions that you choose to and to focus on the things that you choose to focus on. We don't look at it this way all the time, but a lack of self-control is not freedom. Having a, left, a lack of self-control where you just do whatever your, your passions or inhibitions are, it's not freedom. That is a form of slavery because you're not actually in charge of yourself. You're a slave to all those other things. And no one wants to be a slave, but we lose control of ourselves sometimes. And when that happens, we are slaves. If you cannot control your ability to drink, then you are a slave to drink. If you cannot control your temper, then you are a slave to your temper. If you cannot control your spending habits, then you are a slave to your impulses. If you cannot control your desires, then you are a slave to those desires. If you cannot control your eating, then you are a slave to your appetites. And we think about giving into all of those things as having the ultimate freedom, and it's the opposite. It is slavery because those things are controlling us. Self-control is very much a skill that can be developed and strengthened. And Lent just happens to be a perfect time to practice and to hone that skill. The skill of self-control. The skill of fasting. It's not meant to imprison you in misery during this time. But it's meant to release you into freedom from the things that would imprison you. There are plenty of prisons in this world that are not bars and concrete. There are lots of prisons and self-control is our way of releasing ourselves from those prisons to be truly free to make our own decisions. Does that make sense? It's about taking the power back from the things that would control you. 
That's what self-control and fasting is about. So there is this aspect of fasting that is certainly about us, that is about our betterment, that is about our realignment, that is about refocusing. And that's important, and I think you know that. But fasting cannot stop there. And this is what I really want to talk about this morning. Fasting, even though it's my decision to do this, it cannot be all about me. Because even if I'm becoming better through fasting, even if I'm refocusing in the right ways, even if I'm realigning in the right ways, this should have the biggest impact on how I now relate with those around me. Okay? Fasting and focusing on God and even examining myself can't stop with me. It has to have a ripple effect where it affects the way that I exist in community. It affects the way I, you know, converse with Jim or anyone else. Like it, 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 it matters to other people as well. I want you to think about Jesus's fast for a moment because this, it's really fascinating. And the more I think about Jesus's fasting, the more I can confuse myself if I really think about it. Because was Jesus fasting so that he could examine himself and take note of the sin in his life? No, Right. I mean, that's something that we do when we fast, but I don't think that Jesus was trying to root out the sin in his own life, all right? Was he fasting so that he might draw nearer to a God he had drifted away from? As Trinitarians, you can really tie your brain in a pretzel if you go down that road too far, saying that, well, Jesus is God. He says that I am God. He says that if you see me, I am God. Does he need to fast in order to be in communion with God? I think that's... Like I said, there's a lot of unanswered questions there that's above my pay grade. Think about when Jesus fasted. I think that's the important part of Jesus' fasts. He fasts right before he begins his outward ministry, right? It's, we have the stories of Jesus' birth, his childhood, and then really we see him as an adult fasting in the desert and then launching into his earthly ministry. Jesus fasts somehow was related to preparing him to minister and to reach others. Our fasting should yield the same results. If Jesus' fast was to springboard him, to prepare him for ministry to his community, then if he is our example and we are a people who fast, then it should also springboard us into ministry. So our fast cannot be all about us. It has to be outward somehow. Let me tell you something that that maybe you haven't had a preacher tell you before. I have never had a preacher tell me this before. And I'm going to have scripture to back it up. So don't gasp and clutch your pearls too quickly, okay? Scripturally speaking, fasting and even prayer that does not improve our communities, and push for godly justice is worthless. It's a bold statement, right? If you don't believe me, let's look at what God says throughout the prophet, uh, throughout a lot of the prophets, but there's one in the prophet Isaiah. Uh, There's a story in Isaiah 58, verses 2 through 7, where the people of Israel can't figure out why their praying and fasting isn't working. They've been trying, they've been praying, they've been fasting, and it seems like God's not answering. They're doing the right things. They're going through the motions. Why isn't it working? 
And this is that story. Isaiah 58, 2 through 7. I should have that on the screen. It says, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And this is what Israel says to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? We have humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it. And God's response, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? It is, uh, is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And it goes on from there. So we have this story where Israel asked the question, we're praying and we're fasting, which we thought was a good thing. And yet, God, you don't seem to be listening to us. What gives? And he says, yeah, you're fasting. But even as you're fasting and praying, you're perfectly content with injustice all around you. You're letting the marginalized portions of society be oppressed by systems that you participate in and you don't seem to be the least bit bothered by it. God responds to Israel and he says, fasting is not some get out of jail free card for you. That's not what fasting is. Fasting is not a magic pill that you take whenever you just really, really want your prayer answered. And that's how we treat it a lot of times. You think that because you skipped lunch that you are going to paint God into a corner where he has no choice but to reward your piety with his blessings? God is not a heavenly vending machine where you put in the corner and turn the knob and you get whatever you want. That's not how prayer works and it's not how fasting works. God desires more from us than just missing a meal or doing some good religious thing to manipulate him into working for us. He wants more from us than to just keep inserting the quarters and cranking the knobs when we want something. So what does he want? He told us. He said, I desire for you to be a people who actually live out the things that I've been trying to teach you. I want you to be a people who strive to make justice a reality. And we kind of have a different idea of justice in the world today than we see in Scripture. When we think of justice today, at least I do, I think of the penal system and, and judges and robes sentencing people to prison for wrongdoing. And that's not what biblical justice actually refers to. Biblical justice is about making whole the things that are broken. It's about restoring back to our intention that we were created for. That's what justice is. Justice is about taking the brokenness around us and making it right. And see, you can put a person in jail for a crime, but you haven't actually made a wrong right by doing that, right? Like, I'm not saying we shouldn't put people in jail when they break the law, but I'm saying is that we've not created a more 
you know, whole world when we do that. We can execute someone who has murdered someone, but you haven't erased the brokenness that that person caused, okay? So justice isn't just about punishment, and it was never really about making sure that someone was punished. That wasn't the point. In the Hebrew language, the word for justice is a fun one, and it's one I love to study. It's mishpat. Everybody say mishpat. All right. Uh, Mishpat is not about just making sure wrongdoers are punished. Mishpat is about making sure that wrongdoers are punished equitably. Okay? So there's a difference there. Okay? It has more to do with making sure that people are either punished or acquitted based only on the merits of the case and that it's not affected by social status or wealth or race or anything else. Justice was about the inequality in the system, not the system as a whole. It has more to do with making sure that things are fair for every person. And as a side note, and I know we don't like to talk about this sort of thing, but our own justice system has some big flaws when it comes to this. And if you don't think that a person's wealth, race, background, and all these things play a big role in the way that they are either punished or not punished, then I encourage you to do some more reading on it because it'll make you angry. The main point, however, is that justice was concerned with equality, people being treated with the same dignity and respect as everyone else, regardless of who it is, that there are no lesser people, there are no unworthy people, there are no worthless people, that everyone deserves the same love and dignity and respect. And God indicates that the reason he's not listening to Israel's prayers and the reason why he's not honoring their fasting is because they are failing there. They are not treating everyone equitably. They have haves and have nots and they're happy about it. They're fine allowing some people to be oppressed and marginalized while others are exalted. And he says, when you're doing that, I'm not interested in your prayers. I'm not interested in your fast." He says, that's more important to me than the fact that you didn't have your lunchtime matzah, okay? I'm more interested in what you do with your entire lifestyle than I am what you do in this one finite closed period of time where you skip a meal. That's why we read that last part. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? He says, is that not what I actually desire more than the things you're doing? See, he doesn't want us to just engage in the mechanics of religion so much as he wants us to engage in lives that promote godly love and justice and equality where all people are given value. That's what he's interested in. More than our religiosity, he wants us to feed the hungry and to take care of the homeless and to advocate to the poor. And you can't pick and choose, I'm going to be religious, but I'm not going to do these things. It just doesn't make sense. Trying to be a faithful God follower without addressing these injustices around us makes as much sense as claiming to be a vegetarian while eating a steak. Just by definition, it is not possible. Your actions are betraying your words. You cannot do both. And we see this all throughout scripture as well. There's a passage, and I'm going to have a lot of passages for you, Casey, so just keep your finger on the button. Zechariah 
chapter 7, verses 9 through 13. We're going to see where God's priorities lie. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the sojourner or the poor and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and they turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears so that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts as I called and they would not hear. Get this part. So they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. So God says, I tried to tell my people to take care of widows and orphans and the poor and the foreigners, but they refused to listen. And now they try to call out to me. My reply is, nope. <laughs> That's what God says. You're not doing that. Not interested in your piety. I'm not interested in your sparkly words. I'm not interested in you skipping a meal if you are acting unjustly or promoting injustice around you. Another scripture, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, what's that say? I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself, make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. You wanna be heard? That's the way to be heard. Amos 5, next scripture, uh, verses 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and great offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. I don't know about you. When I hear that verse where it says, and let justice roll down, does anyone else immediately think of uh, when Martin Luther King Jr. quotes that and he says, let justice roll down. He was very upset in his day with white Christian pastors because we said sparkly words and we prayed and we preached and we sang the songs, but largely, depends on where in the country you were. I grew up in Alabama, so you know. But for the most part, they were perfectly fine with injustice and oppression all around them. And when he quotes this passage, my goodness, it should have knocked them over because it says, all your solemn assemblies where you come before me and you pray and you sing songs, I hate them. You know what I want instead of that? I want justice to roll like the waters of a mighty river. I want righteousness to be an ever-flowing stream. That's what I want from you. Could God's word be any clearer that what he desires most from his people is not just going through the right motions, but rather a lifestyle of working to create a right world that better reflects the way God intended for this world to be. And I want to be very clear because I feel like I'm, 
you could hear this and is he telling us not to fast? No, I'm not. Intense times of prayer and fasting are good. They are biblical. They are opportunities for us to take the focus off of ourselves and to place it where it needs to be on our God. However, I want you to hear me as I say, do not fool yourself into thinking that a period of fasting will make up for a life that tolerates the injustice and equality and oppression all around you. It does not make up for that. If all of those scriptures made anything clear, it's that God communicates with us best, communicates uh, going towards us and hears us as we communicate back to him. He does that best when we are pushing for justice for everyone in our societies. That's what the scripture said, right? I just, we read like 30 of them over and over again. He says, I'm not listening to you. And here's why widows, orphans, foster kids, all these sort of things. You're just letting go all around you and you don't seem to care. And yet you think that skipping lunch is going to make me forget all that. He wants us to pray and fast, but he wants that prayer and fasting to be a reflection of a life that is lived sacrificially on behalf of those around us. That's what the Christian life is ultimately about. It is about a life of sacrifice. Yes, pray and fast. But as you do, take up the widow's cause. Yes, pray and fast, but take in foster kids and adopt orphans and show love to those around us. Yes, pray and fast, but work on behalf of the poor, not only by supporting them financially from time to time, but by fighting against unjust systems that work against them. Yes, pray and fast, but welcome the foreigner among you. Yes, pray and fast, but do the things in scripture that God says, this is a just society. This is what I expect of all of you. Fasting at its heart is about taking the focus off of you and putting it where it should be. And what I would suggest to you is that maybe we should all enter into a time of fasting and a time of prayer where we take the focus off of ourselves, off of what I want, off of what I think I need. Because if I do that correctly, and I mean not for show like Jesus warned about, but if I really do that and I'm focusing on that, when I take the focus off of myself and my needs, you know what I might notice instead? The needs of people around me. Sometimes I don't notice the needs of people around me until I take my eyes off of my own needs and wants. And fasting can catapult us into a period where we do that. When I take the focus off of myself, I might just notice the struggle of single moms who just feel like they're drowning around me. When I take the focus off of my physicality, then I will notice the elderly and the vulnerable. Or during a pandemic, the underinsured and these people. And if I take the focus off of myself, then I might be able to notice for the first time the immigrant facing daily racism and bigotry around me that I let slide. You see, the more effort we put into taking the focus off of ourselves, God is going to show us where it should have been all along. And he's going to show us the ways that we as a community have failed to live justly and to show his love to a broken world. 
the more effort we put into seeing justice and equality among us, the love of God will be poured out everywhere through us. The closer we commune with God, Scripture tells us, then he will hear our prayers. He will hear our prayers. I can't tell you how many times, and I, I can't go deep down this because I don't want to hurt feelings or anything, but I can't tell you how many times people come to me and they ask for prayer for a certain thing, and that's good and appropriate. I don't think I've ever told anyone, nope, not praying for that. I've never done that. But if I ask, how's your prayer life been up to this point? A lot of times it's an answer that they're embarrassed to give me. Or they'll ask for prayer for something and I know that there are areas of life that they are not taking care of. And what I want you to know is that I will always pray for you. I pray for you all every day. But if you're looking for God to really hear your prayer, to really hear your prayer, if you're looking to really see him move in your life, it's not about putting a quarter in the machine the right way and turning the knob. It's about preceding that prayer with a lifestyle of righteousness and holiness and justice and taking up the cause for someone other than yourself. What scripture tells us is that when we live a life like that, the connection between us and God is unmistakable. And so, so many times, now I've told people this, if you're waiting for an answer to a prayer request or you're looking for guidance in some way, sometimes the best thing you can do, go down to water gardens and serve in a soup kitchen for a little bit. See about some kind of a need that you can meet that doesn't involve you for a little bit. Because all I keep reading in scripture after scripture after scripture is that if God is not responding to his people, a lot of times it has to do because his people are being selfish. His people are getting theirs at the expense of others and they're fine with it. And so if you're truly wanting to hear the voice of God, let's make sure that yes, we pray and fast. But as we pray and fast and remove the focus from our own physicality, be prepared to see the needs of others because that's what God usually shows me during a fast. Is that, oh good, you're not focusing on your own needs. Great, great, let me, let me show you these people in the congregation that you should have noticed. That's happened to me more times than I can count. And if we can do that righteously in a sincere way, I think we'll see good things happen. I don't want you to think that I'm telling you not to fast. I think you should. I'm telling you that if you want your prayers and fast to be answered, start by looking around at the least of these around you. Start looking at the kind of society that you are pushing forward, not just in your own house, but in our communities, because God loves them a lot. And he seems to delight in when we open our hearts to the least of these. He seems to really delight in that. So in addition to periods of fasting, which I do recommend as a pastor, let us embody lifestyles of sacrifice so that we might see a more just world all around us. But fasting is valuable because it takes the focus off of my needs and it frees me to see the needs around me. 
If your fasting doesn't create a better community around you, then you're wasting your time or you're doing it wrong. I should tell you that. Your focus is on the wrong places. So fast, but be willing to look outside yourself. If you will, let's stand and let's close in prayer together.